0: Welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today is a fun day. I have um, one of my really good friends on the show today. Um, Eric Levy is one of the very top agents in the Los Angeles market. And as I said, a dear friend. So Eric, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, Thank you, Michael. Wonderful to be here.
0: Eric, we're going to get into a lot of questions, but I know that a lot of the listeners see everything that happens on television with Million Dollar Listing, New York and LA, and everyone is really enamored with Los Angeles as a brand. Before we even get into the interview, tell me a little bit about the LA market, what's going on, you know, how hot is it, where are the buyers coming from, and you know, you're basically controlling that market. So tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so it's just like television, exactly how you see it on Million <laughs> Uh <laughs> I You know, I, I wish it was at times, but no, it's not. It's it's a lot more complex and nuanced. Um, you know, Los Angeles. You know, I, I, I've been there for over 20 years. Uh, i been doing this for m- most of it, uh, and it's been so fun to watch the city grow, let alone you know, the, the market of course, but the city of Los Angeles is, is, is transforming still today, uh, certainly from where it was 20 plus years ago. Um, with sort of uh, entertainment being, you know, the only game in town 20, 25 years ago, to now it being a complementary piece to everything else, tech, content, um, you, I mean, a, a bunch of other, other businesses. Los Angeles has become a a global destination, uh, not just for second home, third home, you know, collection of homes, but it now is becoming sort of a primary residence for a lot of people who, you know, wouldn't have lived here 10, 20 years ago.
0: Um, You know, it's so interesting because I lived in LA 25 years ago and I was in my 20s. And when I come back to LA now, it's almost unrecognizable. You know, it's so different when you start seeing things like the downtown area that's so incredibly developed. Areas like Koreatown, which you would never drive by, and yeah. is now so incredibly vibrant. It's amazing to me.
1: Yeah, it, it really, really is. And, you know, I, I always get the question, of course, you know, still today, What's the up-and-coming neighborhood of Los Angeles? Right, and and that's a tough question because I kind of think everything's up has has up and come at this point. Right, exactly. Um, so, like, you know, if I say something, you know, people like is Silver Lake coming up? I'm like, Silver Lake. Silver Lake's been dominant for ten years. Um, you know, that's sort of like it's sort of like saying in New York, you know, is the Lower East Side a cool place to live? Right. Uh, um, so, so you know, with Los Angeles. You know, we've seen, of course, prices. You know, jump dramatically the last 15, 20 years. Um, the last couple of years, uh, it's been a very healthy market um, from the from the recovery we all had, sort of in the early part of the decade um, that started. And here we are, you know, starting the next decade. And other cities are having some issues. L.A. is sort of is holding strong. And and I and I and I've always said it's really because of the simple supply and demand in economic. It's, you know, more people are moving here than leaving. Um, some some may, may resent that, but the reality is more are coming in. Um, when I say more are coming in, it's not sort of just people trying to move to Los Angeles and, you know, quote, make it, um, but it's, it's people who are established in their industry and, you know, who are legends in their industry and they're coming to make Los Angeles now their primary residence. So whenever that happens, um, you know it it just boosts up uh, an economy, but also a market. And these neighborhoods that that you know most choose to live in uh, for their first choices, which are all at this point pedigree neighborhoods. Of course, Beverly Hills, the Hollywood Hills, Brentwood, Santa Monica, Malibu. Um, you know, uh, you know all these neighborhoods, West Hollywood. Um, you can't duplicate them. They are what they are. And, you know, they're not making any more Beverly Hills. They're not making right. any more Hollywood right. Hills. Um, so so the, the more people who want to come in here and, and live here, which I don't blame them, it's the greatest city in the world to live in, um, at least in my honest opinion, but uh, the, 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 the stronger the, the market's going to be and, and um, simple supply and demand. So we're going to see what happens to Los Angeles, but I, out of all the cities on a global level, uh, certainly in America, I, I don't know if you can, you know, there's a major city like Los Angeles right now with the trajectory that it has um, in terms of, you know, the growth. But also, th- there's, there's no better place to live um, in terms of, you know, what you can do in your lifestyle. Now, everybody loves Los Angeles for the first thing, and first thing is is the weather. And it, it seems so trivial, but it dictates how we get to operate and everything trickles down from there whether it's if you want like the beach like the surf like to run like the hike like the bike um you like to you know brunch and have rose all day and uh, (laughs) and, uh, that's fine you know so
0: and it's also a very inviting city it's a very cosmopolitan city and you had a lot of global investment that came in particularly from asia but really from all over has that phenomenon still continued? And if so, where are those foreign buyers coming from, Eric?
1: Yeah, so it it has continued. Um, you, you know, I, we, we had our we had some you know peaks to the last sort of ten years or so with sort of uh, you know financial markets from different places. I remember when you know uh, Eastern Europe and sort of you know the Russia market was big, and of course, sure. you know, the Asian market. I think it's it's still healthy. Um, you know, I was, I was out with some you know, very healthy Asian buyers a couple of days ago and, and they're still acquiring. Um, but I, I think you know, a lot of them have at this point already have homes now here and they're looking to grow their portfolio. So it's, it's less of uh, the, the foreign investment is less of like, tell me about LA. And it's more of like my appetite is bigger than ever on LA.
0: That's like, interesting. You know, so yeah.
1: that that's I think what we're seeing now. It's not a, it's not any education like it was ten fifteen years ago. I remember having to educate people coming in from Australia, which at a moment Australia was was a big. I saw a lot of clients coming from Australia probably eight nine years ago, um, and L A of course you know had a big had a big swing of that, which is amazing. I love the Aussies, um, but now <laughs> I I think I think um, it's really become I want more because they look at the global scale and say okay well what else can you get for the value of los angeles if you put los angeles up against the biggest metropolitan areas in the world um we are a tremendous value in terms of what you get for the money there's no question about it whether you New know, paris singapore san francisco yeah. you know tokyo the list goes on and on and on the best of the best in los angeles is still considered kind of a value on, on a global scale
0: Right. You know, it was interesting. I was just in in December, I went to Shanghai for the luxury property show that I was speaking at. And it was interesting, the consumers that were there, they were only interested in three U.S. cities. And that was what you just mentioned, L.A., San Francisco and New York. That was it. And it was interesting that the, the appetite still seemed to be very strong there. And it's also interesting, your insight of the fact that the, a lot of them are there already and established and just looking to increase their portfolio. So I think that's a really interesting insight there. Um, and it's, it, you know, you start seeing what the market is doing. And in some markets, even in the cities that we've mentioned, there's been a bit of a correction and yet, LA still seems very strong.
1: Yeah, um, you know, LA, LA is as strong as of you know January twentieth, twenty uh, twenty. You know, and, and I don't predict the future, and but I right. think I, I think you know on, on a on a scale of the country, you know, everyone was sort of nervous uh, <clears throat> as we closed out nineteen. You know, everyone gets nervous about elections. Um, you know, I gotta, I gotta be honest, I, I think LA has always beat to its own drum. And, and I, you know, we're a, we're a very progressive place, um, but also a place that sort of lives in our bubble. And, you know, the bubble is, is always a, is, is a, is a negative, dirty word in terms of, of real estate. But, you know, we really are in our own bubble in a sense of, you know, a, you know LA affects LA. And yeah. if, if people are coming in, then you know this the, the simple explanation is people want to live here, so therefore it's more competitive to find a home sure, um, sure but look, like anything else, I mean you know sellers can't be unreasonable today in los angeles if it's if they price it reasonably, uh they will sell their home. I mean no one's paying um over over market for for homes uh it, you know only unless it's something that's so special that it is a you know it is sort of like a, you know like an art purchase, whether it's-
0: whether Sure, you know, understood.
1: Pedigree yeah. architecture or that kind of thing.
0: So you said you've been in the industry 20 years selling in Los Angeles. How'd you get started, Eric? Uh,
1: so how did I get started? You know, I, I was- uh,
0: It's all a blur now, isn't it?
1: It, it really is. <laughs> um, you know, but it, it kind of feels like I've been doing this for 10 minutes sometimes. You know, like it's still exciting. That's how real estate is. But, you know, started off, uh, as you know, in, in entertainment- Um, And then I, you know, then I made my transition from entertainment to, uh, to real estate. And, and, um, you know, being in entertainment, I sort of felt like uh, I was a talent agent in that world in uh, 20 years ago. And as a young guy, I realized it was probably, it it was, it was a changing business and we we were seeing it all happen. Um, And, I, I was young enough to say, okay, do I really want to do this? And I, I didn't really have a passion for, you know, working with actors and writers on their careers. And it just wasn't, and that's a, that's a heavy thing. And so if you're not really super into it, um, then it's probably not for you. So, um, I, I sort of secretly got my real estate license while I was, um, while I was, uh, at, at one of, uh, the company that I was, was with. And then I went and told, um, my uh, my bosses and and I, almost all of them said we don't blame you. This is a crazy business right now, and you know I have got two kids and I can't get out of it. But you're right, 25, 26, and and uh, you can do that. And so um, they were like, wow, like if you can do that, great. And this was before this was before any of the TV shows, of course.
0: Yeah, sure, so, of course.
1: So I think what's important to know about that is you know uh, people. I think said, yeah, that's great, but like, you're gonna go be a realtor? You're gonna be a real estate broker? Um, and because, you know, it, it was- sort of There was no glamor to it back then. It was no glamor at all. And so, right. they, so my friends, my colleagues that I worked with, thought I was crazy <clears throat> because here we are, you know, working in a really glamorous world, all the perks you can imagine, you know, I could pick up the phone and, you know, say, you know, hey, it's Eric Levy from, you know, UTA and pretty much get anybody on the phone in any business. Uh, and so you're leaving all that and, um, and it was, it was, it was an easy choice. But when I got into the real estate business, uh, in LA, I realized it was really, really different than what I had come from. And you had to, you had to make everything yourself. And so, and so that's what it was. And of course I found some great mentors along the way and, and, uh, all of a sudden you start, you know, and then I got in the business at a time when the market was at its height. Um, and, uh, and then of course, you know, when it started to come down, I was panicked. But what I would realize is later on is that, that, that's what made me, I think, who I was. I had a really, uh, grind and hustle, uh, in a changing marketplace in the, in, in the 07, 08 days. Yeah. Uh, That everybody remembers. Right. Yeah. And then of course I came out of that and I grew out of that. And so, you know, that's sort of, you know, how that all started.
0: So, you know, let's go back to your world of entertainment, because for the listeners that don't know, you were with probably the top talent agency in Los Angeles at the time. And you start sort of thinking about, you know, programs like Entourage, right? And things where everyone is is really a bit uh, um, sort of cutthroat and really needing to survive there. And you did really well. And... I know you because you and I are friends and I know you to be very humble. How did you survive and still keep your, your, your humility and who you are intact? I think you'd sort of know what I mean. Yeah,
1: you, you know, I,
0: uh, it, it, it's first of all,
1: entourage is exactly how that business is, believe it or not. So that's, that's the one place where television is, is completely true. Accurate. Is, uh, <laughs> a thousand percent. Um, so you know, I think I think I came out of that world, and you know, I, I knew I had to prove myself at, at Ground Zero, and I didn't really have any other option. So you know, in terms of you know you know being being you know humble, uh, that that is a humbling moment when you sort of have to start from scratch, even at a young even at a young age. It's, it, it''s It's a different scenario when you are when you are at Ground Zero and you don't have any company behind your name when you're calling somebody, you're going to just basically set it up and so um, you, you have to remove all ego because uh, if, you, if you can't, then uh, it, it's going to be a bumpy ride, and, and you're going to feel really bad about yourself.
0: Right.: So you know there, there must be similarities between the entertainment industry and that world that you were in and then where you are now with being in the high-end real estate world because some of the clients are the same right and so you must have some similarities that happen between those two worlds but then at the same time i'm sure there's incredibly marked differences what similar And what's different between those two worlds of that talent agency where you're there from that top level and then the high-end brokerage that you're doing now in real estate where you're really at that top level.
1: Right. Uh, well, first and foremost, I think when you, when you work for somebody else, you're getting a paycheck guaranteed. Right. (laughs) That's Uh, a good difference. (laughs) So that's the first thing. But, but besides that, you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly in Los Angeles, you know, my clientele are heavy entertainment, uh, or tied to entertainment. So, you know, I would say both are, you know, cutting and highly competitive as, as almost any business can be. Um, so, so you have that similarity. There's no question. I, people sometimes ask me, you know, oh, well, this must not not be nearly as as you know, cutthroat as the town agency world. And I laugh and I just say, actually, that was really easy. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I think yeah. I think real estate is is more cutthroat um, because there's almost no rules at times, unfortunately. Um, I you know, certainly both are entrepreneurial to a, to a point. Um, will, will, you, will you run and own your own business, in a sense. Uh, you know, uh, real estate itself, um, you know, what I love about it, and I think what's different than entertainment, being working in that, in that system, if you will, is that, you know, real estate is somewhat, you know, significantly more democratic. And, you know, if, if, if you're great at what you do, you are successful, generally speaking. Um, and if, and if you're, and if you are lazy, um, then you're not going to be a star. You're not going to even be close. And I think in, I think in entertainment, um, you know, (laughs) like a lot of, like a lot of corporate structures, there's a lot of people that sort of rest on laurels and and they can make a lot of money for a moment. Um, that's not what happens in real estate. And I, and I think that's what's, what's really, um, kept my, my flame burning so long is because you know, you, you control what you, what, what happens, what you can create. The sky truly is the limit. There are no ceilings, um, you know, but it's, you're 100% responsible. And I think that's, I think, you know, as much as someone like myself has had success that way um, I've seen others leaving other businesses later in life, trying to get into real estate. And of course, who doesn't want to be in real estate? Everyone wants to be in real estate. Uh, Cause it's so easy to, to do what we do. It's, you know, it's, it's, you can make a ton of money. It's so easy. And, <laughs> and, you know, they get into this world and there's very little structure and the structure is, I think what make the lack of structure um, is what makes real estate, of course, so different than anything else. And you've got to start defining the structural, you know, systems in place for you to be able to stay on track. Otherwise no one's really going to watch you and make sure that you can do the right things. Uh, you know, so so I think I think those, those are the differences and some similarities, um, but the democratic nature of real estate, for good and bad, is the best.
0: You know, and I love that statement, and I think that it's interesting that you're mentioning. You know, it's what we forget: we're an agent is an independent contractor, and I always preach the fact of. For me, it's amazing how many agents come in without having a business plan or having any sort of guidelines as to how they're going to succeed. And success to me is always a math equation. So if you want to make a million dollars a year, figure out how much you have to sell every month, figure out what your split is with your agency, and just go do it. It's, it's much more manageable to figure out what you have to do in a month than it is in a year because that escapes you. But to your point, it's just the fact that structure is what's needed for that success.
1: Exactly. There's, there's no question. And, and, I, and we see it so many times, just um, people get into real estate for, you know, the freedom. And you, yeah. know, um, and, you know, the good news is, you know, honey, you can have all the freedom you want. Uh, you're just not going to have any money. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> you're going to figure that one out.
0: That's great. So tell me, look, everyone watches these programs, and you know, and LA is one of the more popular ones, and the real estate shows, and everything else, and you know, everyone drives a Ferrari or a Rolls Royce, and those are just the agents. And so you start looking at this high-end brokerage world that you excel in. What qualities do you think somebody needs? To be successful in that part of the industry, so we're talking about the top one percent of your market that you excel in. You know what? What are the qualities of an agent coming in and playing in that field? That's a big sandbox.
1: <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah. It's, it, you can have the fanciest car on the planet, and you know, if you don't have the right skill set, it's just it's not going to work. Um, I, I, th- I think one would be. Absolute killer knowledge of sort of everything in your market uh, and the sort of historical real estate happenings of the market. Um, and what I mean by that sort of is knowing, you know, what what neighborhoods have done uh, well and not well historically, <clears throat> and you know that's how you can sort of help to predict. Uh, future outcomes, you know, no, we don't predict the future, of course, but it helps us understand <clears throat> what happens when a market softens and what does this neighborhood generally do? Um, and, you know, who is buying, like, you know, when, what executive or what, you know, what celebrity might have bought those homes and what, it, what has been the general pattern of what they usually buy? Um, and that can sort of help to dictate where, what becomes desirable in a marketplace. Um, and if you know that, then you can, you can identify clearly um, you know, without, without error, um, what is a great buy for your client and what that might sell for as a premium down the line when they exit that. So it's absolute killer knowledge of, of all that. That's certainly number one. Um, you know, I, I, I sort of think about what, you know, what our daily, everyone has sort of like, you know, their daily, you know, routines and, and what they can expect in in their own world, you know, I think um, this can probably be said for a lot of a lot of things, almost maybe everything, but certainly in real estate, I think putting disappointment behind you quickly, uh, you know, is is important. Um, you know, we're in a sales business, so um, you know, we're going to have some some bad news, and that's just that's just the reality. So understanding if you are you know, starting to have a, a, a bad day. Uh, one is that you can count on it getting much worse, probably, um, before bedtime. So, so, so you know, I mean, um, okay. that, I mean, look, I mean, you know, with all the fun, you know, triumphs we get to have, Sure. Um, we, there's a lot of disappointment in it. And that's, it, it happens almost like a news ticker, you
0: know, yeah
1: you know, our disappointments and our uh, triumphs are, are happening, you know, in real time, like seconds after and before each other. So, you know, I, I, I always say when we have uh when uh, the day's not look, it's 11 o'clock and we've already had a couple of tough ones. I'm like, here we go. Buckle up. Cause it's going to get wild. And let's just ride <laughs> this out. Yeah. And then there's always going to be a chance to make opportunity out of that. So we have to understand how to turn that into opportunity. Um, there's, there's, there's no way that um, I will let sort of any disappointing scenarios of a day or a week with me and my team happen without figuring out the opportunity out of that for a client and for the bigger picture. Uh, I love and that. I, and I think the last piece, Michael, is is that, you know, um, you know, y- to to have success in I think real estate and you know building a business any business you know you have to learn how to <clears throat> at least for me it was learn how to you know how to be reasonable and fair and 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 you know fun to work with uh, you know picking the right partners to make it all work is important you know you know I have a team that you know I I, I think highly of and I believe that you know the best in the world you know work with me and. Um, And so, you know, that's how you can sort of ensure, you know, uh, a better shot at success. There's no question.
0: So, you know, there there are some great things that you said here. So I think the first one with knowledge, I remember when I was selling real estate in in Miami and I had a team, I used to have my team come into the office every morning at eight o'clock in the morning. And if you can imagine that happening in Miami, it's really, you know, people are just getting in from their evening. Uh, the night before. So discipline was a big thing for me. And knowledge was um, something that was paramount. And probably about 80% of my clientele was international. And my team was ranked top 1% in the state of Florida. So we really focused primarily on the higher end of the marketplace. And if anyone around the table, so any team member that wanted a particular farm area, that they wanted to control and own. Anyone, You have to do a presentation to the team. And so anybody around that table that asked a question that that person didn't have the answer to, they didn't get the farm area. And so it was the idea that they needed to be the expert in that area if they wanted it, because most of the clientele that we were dealing with did not have any expertise in that area. They were coming in and if we didn't have the answers, they would go somewhere else that would. And so that was just paramount. So I think that's a, that's, a, that's a really key factor of things that really translate into any high-end market, anywhere globally, really, is the idea of knowledge. The fact that we live now in an, in an internet world where a consumer has a lot of knowledge, they're looking for someone who has the knowledge that you can't find on the internet. What you were really talking about, sort of that historical data, who lived there before, what's, the, what's really the, the consensus of where it is and what's the trajectory of where it could be. Um, so those are the things that you really do need somebody as a advisor, as, a, as, as somebody who's part of your team, as a consumer. And I think that's an incredible uh, part of what you just said that really is, you know, part of your success, but part of the success for things that can be translated into various markets.
1: Yeah. You know, I, you can't find that on Zillow. You can't find it anywhere else. um, You know, uh, and I'm not knocking them. I mean, look, you know, they've transformed the marketplace in in terms of how a consumer interacts with the real estate product. Um, But, what Zillow, in my opinion, will never or any of the other places uh, ever be able to do is understand the nuance of certain markets. And I think Los Angeles is probably paramount in, in, in those uh, highly nuanced markets. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, even to a point like you look at sort of like, you know, New York, which is, you know, which is building centric. Well, you know, if, if you've got comps in a building, um, then you can probably almost guarantee you know, that the 17th floor is gonna be more desirable than the 14th floor um, and so on. It's more, it's more about size and sort of what the view is. With Los Angeles, I mean, everything is you know, street by street, block by block, block and view by view, it's different. And, um, and, and, if, and, if, and if a buyer doesn't understand that, then they're not gonna have all the information. And then when they're the seller, they're going re- to ask questions of, well, well, why is this the case? I didn't know that. And I see that a lot, you know, when, when we come on and, and list the property, you know, I talk about, okay, well, let's talk about what's wonderful, but it's also the challenge of this property because there's, there's not a property out there that's not going to have at least one challenge and that's okay. It's, you know, how do you manage that challenge uh, and mitigate it and or just deal with it? Um, and everything's always a factor of price, obviously. But when that seller doesn't understand that and you have that conversation with them and we didn't sell them the house and they call us and we can have that conversation. And then they say, wow, okay, I didn't understand that. So now let's price it correctly. That's important. And Zillow or any, anyone who doesn't have the understanding of that um, can't do that. And so uh, I think for the future, um, I, I think real estate brokers who are, who are super savvy and you know uh, students of the game are gonna be the ones who win out. Um, The others will be a commodity. And that's the difference.
0: And I think that's the difference from being an advisor than being simply a broker or an agent, because that's, that's really is somebody who adds value to that transaction. Yeah. You know?
1: 1,000%.
0: Yeah. So, Eric, you know, I know you well, and you, you enjoy life. You know, you and your beautiful wife, Jenny, who is a good friend of mine as well. You have amazing homes in L.A., in Palm Springs. You travel extensively. I just saw you guys for dinner here in New York a few weeks ago. How do you balance your life and your work? Because you work really hard.
1: Yeah. Um, so, so, look, you know, we, I, I think we are lucky um, uh, you know, you work really hard. Of course, you want to play really hard. But um, if, I think I think first and foremost, the balance that everyone talks about always—it's it's hard to achieve. You know, yeah. and and I and I think when you when you when you run your business, um, it's it's you know it's hard to take time off. Um, I, you know, uh, I, I think some in our business do it differently. Uh, I know. Uh, I'm really never disconnected from my phone and technology um, some may think that's not the way to go um, I sort of view it as it's a luxury in the last 20 years that allows people to uh, be at work at a perform at a level that you know someone like me can perform at and still uh, not burn out because you know taking the pause I sort of you know I was Call it like you know, pause for the cause, and you know, you know, burnout is real. And if you're not taking some time, and taking time doesn't mean seven days in the Caribbean. It can mean you know, taking you know, 36 hours just to kind of you know, you know, that's as you know, the desert for us. You know, Palm Springs for us is sort of makes it really easy. Like you know, it's it's a very pressurized chamber we operated in Los Angeles. And, you know, just two hours away, we can, you know, decompress on a moment's notice and, you know, then pop back onto the ride. So, um, so I, you know, I, my feeling is, is if you can weave, weave in breaks uh, as opposed to the traditional, like, I'm taking a vacation and I'm not talking to anybody, um, that's hard. I'm sorry, it's hard. I, I think it's hard in our business because our clients want to know that if they need to get me, they can get me on the phone and they can. Um, You know, what's
0: also interesting to me is in just observing you and Jenny is also your communication. And I think it's important also with, you know, you and, 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 and your partner to sort of know that the, the end game is a shared goal. Right. And so I think that that's, it's a beautiful thing that I see with the two of you and, it's something where, you know, Jenny also has her own life and business. And when you actually come together, there's that great partnership of everyone understands what the other person is doing. And when you come together, you enjoy your time together. And I think the communication is a big part of that as well, because that's a, that's a great part of that balance, I think.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm very, very lucky to have a partner like my wife, Jenny um who you know she's never gonna say really you know a call (laughs) i I mean you know on holiday like i mean and that's just that's what you know she knew what she was getting into before she married me so um (laughs) but you know she 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 never ever complains about it because look you know that that means the balance is working yes that means she's not resentful that i'm working all the time because we i can weave it in and out um when it needs to be and um and look, I, I, truly, I truly live <clears throat> real estate. I live it. And, and it's hard to turn it off because I think if you, if when you turn it off, you sort of are on the sidelines for even if it's a day and you're not on the pulse of what's happening.
0: That's and, interesting. Yeah. And I know
1: other people that I really respect in our business are going to disagree with me. That's okay. Uh, th- that's their, you know, so I know people who check out and leave their phone at home for three weeks on a vacation um th- that to me is so frightening and i i, yeah, I, I can't to, do that either I, I, I get to the airport, <laughs> um I, you know i'd be a wreck and i just i'm not going to be so you know to each their own but uh but my wife is 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 beyond wonderful with that and knows that you know i love what i do and like if i'm not doing what we do at the highest level uh, yep. it, it, it depresses me sure. so and so for me, it's like you can't be at the highest level and, and be out of the game for even a week.
0: That's um, so true. You
1: know? and, and and then I think you know, of course, I've said this before, but you know, I couldn't do what what we do without without my team. You know, without you know Angelica, who you know who runs the world of of, of real estate with me and and Garrett. Um, I mean, like you know, it, the, the, the you know our transaction coordinators and you know all of it. It's just you know we've been able to build it a team that works really well together. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Boston guy and, and I I always use the, you know, the new England Patriots as a, as a, as a uh, analogy of sorts, as an example, even though this is a disappointing season. Um, You know, (laughs) every year the Patriots are are a high pick to make the Super Bowl, and every year there's players that weren't there the, the, the year before and that there's players that might leave next year. And every year uh, there's a reasonable shot that we win it all. And there's no other team like that. And I, and I've sort of watched that over my, over my career. And, you know, it, it, it's not because of one person it, and that's just the reality. And yeah, you know, sure. Like, you know, our business comes in because, you know, our clients, you know, like my perspective on the business and in and, and what I've built, but you know, I couldn't do it at the highest level if it wasn't for the team I have. So, everyone has to be on their game and if you know if we make adjustments we're going to be even better and it's not about you know can we do it without this person we're going to figure it out and we're going to figure out how to be better and when we're when we're undefeated don't get comfortable because there's still time to get better i mean look uh, this week you know you know when we had a huge year last year this week i looked at our processes which are lauded by our clients always and I said, you know what? I don't like the way this works as a consumer because I'm the ultimate consumer. I'm sold. Behind. Right. So, so I, you know, when, when it comes to the idea of what the process is for the consumer, uh, I'm always looking at, uh, at what our experience is. And, you know, I'll tear it down every year and rebuild it better. And so I think that's truly what makes the whole foundation strong. And you can have a great life and go live that life and wor- not worry about, hey, is it going to be okay if I'm gone for two days?
0: And, you know, and that's a good point because it's, you know, at some point you have to decide when do I need a team? When do I need somebody that's not just me? At one point does my success dictate somebody else needs to help me so that I can continue to grow. At what point did you find that out? At what point did you start having a team?
1: I would say 10, a little over 10 years ago, probably. Uh, when I started to build sort of, you know, I, I didn't think of it as a team back then. Right. Teams weren't, weren't a thing. I mean, 10 years ago, teams started to become a thing. Um, you know, I, I, I think once you start having continued success, um, then you start saying, okay, well, it's sustainable. And if it's sustainable, then you can take the, take the leap of, of faith of sorts and the investment potential on, you know, on growing. Um, but of course, People always, I think, want to have the success there and then grow after the success. And that really isn't possible. You have to take the risk and bet on yourself. And And invest in in your business, absolutely. Yeah, and so you have to know that you're in it to win it. And if you know you're in it to win it, then you're not worried about being able to afford this other person you're bringing on or whatever it may be because it's just going to make you better and be able to grow and growing means more generally.
0: Absolutely. And so, you know, through this conversation, we've really spoken about your ambition and, and your success that you've built, Eric, but what drives you?
1: Uh, what drives me? Um, you know, that, that's, a, that's, that's the broadest question. And I think it changes probably a, a quarterly for that matter. Um, but, I, you know, I think ultimately I, I, I have a, <laughs> I have a wildly competitive nature, uh, of, of wanting to be the best. Um, you know, not just somebody who sells the most or is on every list out there. Um, you know, these lists, of course, look, I'm, I'm, and I'm lucky to be on them. Um, you know, a lot of them are made up. A lot of these numbers are made up. So like, it's just a lot of agents, I think uh, agree that these lists have gone out of control. Um, you know, these agents talking about, you know, I, you know, we sold, you know, 100 million, 200 million. And, and I and I started to think about a couple years back, you know, um, there has to be more than that. Because first and foremost, my clients don't care whether I sell 100 million to $200 million worth of real estate, they don't care, because that's not doing anything for them. Right. Um, you know, so I, I, I think, I think what drives me is that, you know, somebody can hire us, after they try and fail with one or two others before me uh and that you know we get to come in and show them what being the best at what we do is all about and that's a daily uh, that's a daily event that's a weekly event and that's truly i think in terms of business what drives me you know of course what drives me personal is different than that but that's what drives me to want to be the best at what we do and and reinvent every day and get better every day is for our clients to, to, to say, wow, you really are different than everybody else.
0: I always used to say I love being the second broker. You know, it was go and, you know, I'm not going to convince you otherwise, so go and learn on your own, and then I'm happy to help you. And, yeah. you know, and it, and it was one of those things where, sometimes it's difficult to educate the client and it's you're, you're beating yourself against uh, your head against the wall because sometimes you just want to not lose that listing, not lose that client, but you're spending, there's no point in taking on an overpriced listing that won't sell. And there's no point in really taking out a buyer um, that is not realistic as to what the market is and what their budget is. And so what you're doing is just, you're, you're destined to fail. And so if that client doesn't understand the expertise that you're offering them, I always would sort of walk away and say, I'd rather be the second broker and be able to, to let you learn on your own and happy to then sort of be there to up surface to you when, when you're ready.
1: Yeah, e- exactly. And, and I'll tell you, uh, and I think, you, you know, we've had this discussion before, I think, but, but, um, You know, I blame us as a, as a, as a, you know, as a, a whole group of of real estate brokers. An industry, really. Yeah, you know, I a lot. Most brokers are either uh, unable or unwilling to have the difficult conversation, and. The difficult conversation is difficult for, for both parties. It's difficult for the, for the one hearing it, which is the seller sure. generally. And it's difficult to deliver um, uh, from the broker and it's unpopular. And so I think you know, brokers are, are built to be people pleasers, right? And they don't wanna deliver bad news. Uh, they, they just don't wanna do it. Like if it comes from somebody else, that's better than it come from me. I, I've always looked at the opposite. It's, you know, you're not, like, you're not gonna like this and, you know, are you open to, to, to brutal honesty? And if the answer is yes, then we're going to delve into a, you know, a, a, a tough conversation. And sometimes you're breaking news to them, as I mentioned before, that they weren't aware of. And um, and if no one's telling them that, then quite honestly, um, how are they going to know that they're not correct? You know, right. Which is, which is pricing or why their home is difficult to sell or why that market in that neighborhood is not great right now. Uh, and look, you know, th- some people are gonna be delusional and that's fine, but um, a, a, a broker owes it to their client or even a prospective client, um, to be honest and you know, sometimes brutally honest.
0: And sometimes those people pleasers are the ones where the industry sort of does its own natural way of, of, of uh, getting rid of them. Because once you start just being the yes person, ultimately, things don't go your way and the client will simply just blame you anyway. And so you can't always be that yes person. So that, no, it's, it's a very uh, keen observation and it's very true. I mean, it's, it's something that some of the younger uh, people coming into the, um, the industry just don't understand. And you actually come from a greater position of strength by being somebody who is transparent.
1: That, that's right. Uh, being transparent and, and, and look, you know, I've made it part of my, my my business recently to be the one that's number two or three. Right. Uh, you know, and so, and so, you know, generally speaking, people think, okay, well, like it's, it's, it's even harder to launch a listing that people have seen already or twice already. Um, you know, well, there's been instances this year, this past year, where we came in as the second broker and in day one, without changing the price, by the way, had the property under contract. And, Amazing. And, and, it, and it, it's, it's not, it's not, it's a perception change. It's not just sort of, you know, my name is, is magic, but um, uh, you know, we come in and we 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 shoot the property, or you know, we're positioning the property differently in terms of how it's looked at from the public, and that, that's everything. And the the presentation is everything. Per- perfection in presentation is is a necessity. It's, it's there's just no other option. And I think that's one of the easiest things brokers can do, but it takes the most amount of time resources to do it. And so therefore. Most people are going to say, eh, whatever, you know, like on a showing. People are going to, you know, show up. A broker's going to show up sometimes five minutes before the showing and turn lights on when the buyer's there. Well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, I I talk about this with with, with sellers and I talk about how my team is there, you know, an hour before the showing, lighting my fancy candles and turning lights on at the right dimness and putting the music on the right volume and the certain doors are opened in the right place. Um, and then when that buyer walks in and I get there 50 minutes earlier, and that buyer walks in after I get there, the show begins, the curtain opens. That's and it. You know, this is exactly what we're there to do. And a showing at the minimum is a two hour operation. Well, if you've got you know, a bunch of listings, you need to have a system in, a, in place, in and in a team in place that can execute that on a daily basis. Because my, the best shot I have to sell a property is when a buyer's in the house. That's it. You know, I mean, they could see something online and say, that's really pretty. They're generally not gonna buy it without walking in first. So when they are there in person, that is the moment that I have with them uh, as the seller's representative to say, here's why this is an unbelievable property, unlike anything else in the category. And we are king of that category. And that's how you do it. Uh,
0: you just actually said something that was really extraordinary. It was the idea, and this was coming from your entertainment world, where a showing is a performance, mm-hmm. where you're setting it all up, you're creating the atmosphere, you're, and your audience member is your buyer. It's an, it's an incredible way to view that. And I think it's a game changer when people start thinking of it in that manner because that's what really separates you.
1: I mean, it is a total game changer, and I started to really think about this probably two years ago. Yeah, um, and, and and I started to say to myself, Eric, who cares? Like, this is what real estate brokers do. Like, I mean, like everyone shows a house. Well, then I started to understand like what I've seen over the years and what I had been seeing. You know, top agents who were you know who are more well known than I was at the time. Um, I, I would do a showing with a buyer client of mine and. You know, they have some, some lackey who doesn't know anything. Um, no offense, but they don't know anything. And they're showing up $8 million house or a $12 million house or more. And, you know, the house is half opened. The music isn't on, but there's speakers in the, in in the, in the ceilings, um, you know, there's candles that are there that are not lit. Right. Um, you know, there are toilet seats that are up, stuff like that. And, and I'm just like, what is going on? Like, I, you know, we want to sell the house too. So, and, and the buyer wants to buy a house. So, a buyer is bummed out if they walk into a property and it's not ready because that's not, they want the show. Like, yep. we, didn't, we didn't pull them off the street and say, hey, come see this house. You're going to love it. No,
0: <laughs> they, they, they
1: are asking to see this house. They want the show.
0: Give it to them. They're a willing audience member. Yeah. They bought a ticket. It's
1: amazing. And so, you know, when I talk to, when I talk to my, Prospective clients, upcoming clients, about this stuff. I think a lot of them are like, "Wow, we never even like that's of course what we want, but yeah, but like I'm gonna like sit, tell them, tell them, no one's gonna go do this. It it takes too much time and it's too you know mundane, but that's what we get paid to do is to, that's pay, it. to make sure their house looks like the show it should be.
0: I love that. Yeah. So Eric, I'm gonna ask you, tell me the greatest lesson you ever learned from one of your failures
1: oh god michael um <laughs> i mean i i you know i don't know if it's professional or personal i you know like I, whatever I, you wanted to give me yeah, you know I, I i think one of the lessons i can always look back on is is you know you cannot settle for anything that is isn't exactly what you really want to happen um you know and, and if you do it's ultimately not going to work um so so I, tell I, me what that means yeah you know i think i think if we're talking per, you know personally you know i you know i i think i've made decisions where i knew it was the, was not the right one and and um you settle and and, you know, it's not, it's not what you want. And yeah. you, think you think it's gonna work. Look, I, you know, <laughs> I come from a, a, a very interesting little world, which is like this bubble in this unbelievable town in New England, very bucolic and very uh, sort of middle class. And there's nothing we can't do. That's the way right. that we think generally uh, back there. Uh, that, you know, no one's gonna tell us, you know, we can't make this work. So I, I think sometimes, you know, we can go into our lives saying, oh, I'm going to make this one work. And you shouldn't force it.
0: Yeah. So,
1: you know, if it's not what you really want, then don't try to make it work. Um, so, you know, I, I think whether, it's, whether you know, it's a client that you, that you really think is going to make a difference in your business because their property is so spectacular. But like you said, if it's overpriced and if, you start trying to jam it into the door and don't settle, you know, like I know it seems attractive. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, so like going on a date, you know, like you swipe, you swipe left or whatever. Like, <laughs> this could work. And then you try to make, it's just not the right thing. And, and so I, I sort of realized like, I, I'm not, you know, settling for anything that's not exactly what I want. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to settle for something to be polite. I'm not going to settle. You know, everyone who knows me sort <laughs> of, they give me a hard time, but I think lovingly is because I really, am incapable of sort of faking it um you know well that's one of the things i like about you (laughs) it's just just for me and beyond not being able to fake it it's like i can't if someone's going to ask me for some input uh, you know i'm going to be as you know diplomatic as i can but i'm not going to really hide what may be difficult to have a conversation about sure so i think that comes from the place of like you know they ask and I need to give it to him or I can't not say it because I just feel it. That's the reality. So <laughs> I, I, for me, it's, it's, you know, ultimately it's never going to work if it doesn't feel right. And it's not what you want.
0: Uh, that's fair. I like that. That's great. Um, so let's, let's move on to a little bit of uh, philanthropy that I know that you and Jenny do quite a bit of you give back in many ways. Why is philanthropy important to you?
1: Uh, you know, here's the truth. Before I met my wife, uh, I didn't understand it.
0: Wow. That's fair. Wow.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and as you know, my, you know, my Jenny is, uh, you know, her world is philanthropy and, yep. and, um, you know, so we, you know, we always joke, you know, I'm in the for-profit and she's in the nonprofit and <laughs> it, it works quite well, but, but it's interesting. So, you know, I, most of what I know about philanthropy, it, uh, I, I sort of learned through my wife, uh, amongst other things, by the way, as you know, but but she really sort of um, guided me to why certain causes are important, um, when potentially I may have looked at them and said, why is that really important? There's other things that, to be focusing on in the world of what has to be done. Um, everything has its place in reason. And... Um, in, in, in if in if you aren't helping others, if you're not sort of being you know um, compassionate out in the world, uh, and it's and it's look it's it's easy to forget to be compassionate out in the world. I don't mean just with money. I just I, you know with time and and a thoughtfulness and a consideration. Um, and so it it really sort of brings it full circle of of sort of why of why you're doing it and um, and taking the time to sort of learn more about a cause that you don't know about. And, you know, you know whether it's a service of, you know, feeding some people who are hungry, um, or it's, you know, the arts and educating, education in the arts, which, you know, we're act- active with LACMA, or, you know, my wife's active with the library council. Um, you know, obviously she's very active in, in, uh, with hers, which is Jewish family service. Um, or if it's, you know, helping to save koalas. I mean, by the way, I love koalas. koalas but like, it doesn't it's going matter. back to the Aussies that you had as clients. <laughs> really, right? I love the but, yeah, exactly. Right. I got but, you. But, um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, I, every, um, every year she sort of shows me more why it's important. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I feel like a better person because I'm learning that. And it's not saying I didn't learn it from, you know, growing up, but just, you know, she is, you know, firmly on the ground of that world in, in, in every aspect um, and, and learning what's important to do there. And, and and really what sort of is expected of, I think, of of industry leaders. I think of, you know, uh, industry leaders generally have, you know, the influence, uh, not just the financial means, but the influential means to draw attention to something that is important. You know, yeah. It, 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 and, it, and, it should, and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be, you know, just what's a sexy cause. It shouldn't be what, what's a sexy cause. Um, you know, it's, it's really about, you know, you know, what may be, you know, not talked about and, and maybe you don't even talk about it. You just, you just give your time or anything you can give.
0: You know, and I, and I think that's a, that's a really beautiful statement. The fact that, you know, going back to the beautiful marriage that you and Jenny have where you learn from each other and really in in the world of philanthropy, that she is really what what she does, that she then brings the awareness to others around her, including you, and your acceptance of it. I think that's a really beautiful statement. Yeah. Yeah. I have one final question for you, Eric. It's a question that I ask uh, almost all of my guests, and it's the one that they cringe about. Um, but it's the one that I like to ask. So what would you like your legacy to be?
1: Yeah, it, it, it definitely is cringeworthy because I, you know, I, I, I never even, I never think about legacy. I look, you know, um, I, I think when, you know, when you have a sort of the zero ego mentality, it's like, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, um. Legacy is defined I think in a lot of different ways absolutely uh, you know I, I think I th- I think and, and, and it's this is gonna this is going change um, you know as the years go on I mean like you, you know here I am you know probably at the midpoint of my career and and I'll say something you know now that is completely ridiculous 10 15 20 years from now um, but you know I think I think the, for legacy I think <clears throat> in terms of you know, the real estate world, the real estate community of Los Angeles, I, I'd, like to have, I'd like to have my legacy of that be one that is, you know, about, you know, true ethics and morality um, and, you know, you know, giving it everything um, and sort of, you know, having ultimate discipline uh, and, and, you know, shepherding our business into whatever that future is going to be. But, you know, being at the highest level of service Um, that you can that you can give and always knowing that just because you are the best at what you do doesn't mean you can't be better Um, it's just it's it's an undying uh, idea of you know what's the next thing and you know I don't mean like the gimmick I mean you know how can we be even better and more dedicated to our clients so I you know for me uh, on a professional level uh, I hope I can look back and say, you know my clients really loved working with us and there's a, the reason for that is because they know that um, it, the, the details are, are looked after um, and you know we're always looking to get better. we don't, we don't ever feel we're the best. you know like look I, I wake up and, <clears throat> and you know I've had a you know a, a wonderful you know career so far and and i' I'm, I'm, I'm blessed with, with a lot of things. Um, I wake up thinking that, maybe I'll never sell another house again. And, you know, so for me uh, and I, and I think that because like, you know, how do we get better? Like, you know, if if we don't get better, how are we going to do what we do at the higher level? So um, it's just waking up every morning saying, okay, you know, like I'm successful, but you know what, this is nothing yet. And I, and I hope that's that's part of a legacy that I can help build and shape in our, in our real estate community and business. And you know, like, you know, a lot of young people have worked for me over the years and I, I love to see them have success, um, you know, in terms of, you know, coming through our doors and, and learning from us and doing the right things the right way. And so I, I hope I can look back 20, 30 years from now and say, you know, there's a large portion of successful real estate professionals in Los Angeles and elsewhere that got their start with us and the basics and the foundations from me, uh, and you know my foundations. I was able to get from others that I respect highly, and uh, and then you look back and say, "Wow, you know, you've had an actual effect, and you put your stamp a little bit on the business." So that's one. But th- they'll be changing every year, Michael. So well, we'll come back and update it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's a great legacy and a great uh, place to end this conversation. And Eric, you know, I really thank you for this discussion. We've had some wonderful ideas and some great conversation. And I think it was uh, really terrific. And I really do appreciate your candor and, and and really your guidance and who you are as a leader in our industry. So thank you, buddy.
1: Well, uh, bud, thank you. This is uh, an honor and a privilege, of course, and I appreciate you having me on. And and I think what you're doing with this, um, you know, making real estate uh, truly global and thinking about real estate on a truly global scale um, is, I think, a huge importance right now. So um, thank you for that. And I'm looking forward
0: to uh, to hearing more of these. Absolutely. Thank you, Eric. And thank you for all of you for joining. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Thanks for